Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, the pastor of West Bradenton Baptist Church in Bradenton, Florida, Josh King, the pastor of Saxe's Church in Saxe, Texas, and me, Micah Fries, the pastor of Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're glad you're here. Hey, and welcome to episode 24 of EST, the podcast for the established church. We're so thankful that you are taking time out of your week, out of your busy schedule as a pastor or minister to listen in to EST. Uh, we got a great show lined up today. I think this is one that a lot of people are going to be interested in, even in the concept of it. But we're going to be talking today about church-based leadership development. Now, that covers a number of categories, so I don't want you to just be thinking uh, kind of pipeline idea. We're talking about that, but we're also talking about sort of theological education and how all of that kind of fleshes together and works out as always, we're joined today with Sam Rayner down in beautiful Florida. Just spent uh, a little while in Disney because that's what Floridians do. And hey, and we need to uh, say a big props to Sam Rayner who just completed his PhD dissertation. All right, well done, Sam Rayner. We're all jealous of you. I actually have well, a sound I mean, effect. Can y'all hear this? <laughs> we should get sound effects. That would be we awesome. No, I'm afraid of giving. I'm afraid of giving Josh control over sound effects. I'm, I'm afraid of what could happen. <laughs> well, for our listeners who just heard that that crowd applaud noise, um, just know that Sam and Micah can't hear the sound effects that we I can't. put on. The... Oh, that's funny. So, that's really yeah, yeah I, well, all right. So we my dissertation, kind of the words ovation. are written. All all seventy five thousand words are written. Mm. Now, they are not approved. No, I so. know that. But the written work, the predominant bulk of your written work is completed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, man, the, I've got all this time now. I'm just going to sit yeah. back and lay out on the beach. I mean, I, I that's what I'm going to do. Well, isn't yes. that what Floridian pastors do anyways? Is just lay out on that's, the beach? Philip Nation, every, you know, Philip Nation, who's now a pastor right across the street, basically, from you, Sam. It, it feels like to me every other post is him on the beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we really, you know, his church. Okay, so his church planted my church back in the 1950s. Oh wow! And we we're like literally two miles down the road from him. So that's awesome. No, it really is. It's it's uh, our churches get along great. It's one of those cases where First Baptist planted West Bradenton, and and yeah, we we get along great. I can't tell you how many times people have claimed that I'm the pastor of First Baptist though, and I'm like, no, 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 we're West Bradenton. Hmm. So I. But yeah, it, but it's all pastors good. are on the beach. Tennessee pastors, they're in a hammock and uh, hey, kind of looking hey, at man. the mountains. Texans hey, are eating hey. tacos and shooting stuff. That's that's kind of what we're doing over here. We eat well, tacos like in Chattanooga, I, I eat, too. Yeah. I, could eat, I could eat fish, ta- fish tacos and, no. and shooting something sounds good. Oh, no, no. You ruin anything when you put fish with it. Oh, you're, oh man. You're, you're mistaken. Fresh mahi. Fish tacos are I amazing. I hate seafood. No, they're fish awful. Fish tacos are awesome. Don't mess up a good thing. Mm. Well, talking about that, let's talk about church-based education. Is can we mess that up, or is it is it there to mess up? Can we mess that? Okay, of course, so we can mess that up. We can mess up anything, but I would say the problem is not as much messing things up as it is not doing it. Mm. And um, I think okay, so let's think through this. How do we create a culture of equipping in the church? Right, a culture of leadership development. First of all, we need. I think it's a non-negotiable that we create a culture of leadership development in the church. Ephesians 4, profoundly clear on this point. Um, God gives pastors 
to develop the saints for works of ministry. I tell our staff, I told our pastoral team yesterday, you're not paid to do ministry. You're paid to develop the body so that you can all do ministry together. We do ministry as part of the family. In other words, ministry is our familial responsibility, not our vocational responsibility. So um, with that said, you're going to need multiple layers to your leadership development. I think there needs to be everything from a formal training process, however you want to do it. We partner with Southeastern Seminary, and we offer seminary classes. I've got multiple students this semester going through classes with Southeastern that I'm working with, all the way down to just informally being with people regularly. And so we we talked about this yesterday in our pastoral meeting. And I'm an extreme extrovert, so this probably comes easier for me. I know it comes easier for me, and I get that. But I, I almost do nothing alone. I mean, I, I'm alone in an average day. I'm probably alone, like today. Now, today's Wednesday, so it's a little unusual. I've got meetings from 8.30 in the morning until 8 p.m. I have two 30-minute spots where I'm alone and one one-hour spot where I'm alone between for 12-hour period. Otherwise, I'm with people the entire day. And even in a day when I'm by myself in my office, I'll have the door open I never go to lunch alone. If I have a lunch where I don't have something scheduled, I grab one of the pastors and say, go with me. If I go to a conference, I don't go unless I'm taking someone with me. Uh, my thought is that God has called me in the process of developing others. And if I don't want to be with people developing them, I probably shouldn't be in the role. And so I think you need to have a process, whether it's informally, just being with people intentionally and letting them see how you walk with Jesus, how you treat your family, how you serve, you know, that sort of thing all the way to formal processes of theological development. Uh, we just, the problem is not that we do it poorly. The problem is that we don't do it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good word. And I probably can't speak a lot to this because we, we're, we're, we're pushing towards that idea. We would love to have sort of that Southeastern partnership that you guys have or, or some other seminary. I mean, that, that is really cool to us, but I do want to uh, agree with kind of what you're saying with bringing other people along. Don't do things alone. Keep your doors open and, just open yourself up to investing in other people. One of the things that I've recently found, um, and I'm not sure how to say this. I, I posted a tweet, and Micah made fun of me because of the way I used it, but I didn't know another way to say it. Was Here recently I've discovered I have spent a lot of my pastoring with the squeaky wheel, with the loud person in the room. I'm trying to make sure that that person's happy. Or even if it's not just trying to make sure that person's happy, I'm trying to – I've identified somebody I think has got great leadership potential. And so I try to invest in them and I, I chase them down. And a lot of times I spend my time chasing them down and investing in people who aren't listening. All the while, there's two or three guys sitting over here going, hey, when can we have coffee? When can we go to lunch? I'd love to have coffee with you. Or can I help you with that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, I'll get to you later. And so I found this shift in my sort of uh, outlook of investing in fertile relationships or investing in relationships in which there is fruit bearing from that relationship. And I found that that is so much more productive. And so along these lines of discipling or mentoring or theological education within the local church, just look for those students that are already there and do your job, kind of invest in them. What do you think, Sam? I I think that's key. Find the people that like to learn. Mm -hmm. Often when you find the people that enjoy learning, they're the ones that are most ready to be equipped. Um, So, you know, there's, and, and if you have a church of 50 people, for instance, it's likely that you have one, at least one person there 
that is maybe they're not ready to 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 be a pastor or a, a, you know ministry team leader or something like that, but they're ready to learn. They're ready to be equipped. Um, so I would just say, go find the learners in your church. Who are the people that enjoy learning? And often that's where you'll find a lot of the, this fruit that you're talking about because they have a posture, they have a willingness to accept that kind of mentoring, equipping, teaching, whatever it is. Now, when we um, talk about church-based uh, leadership development, we're not specifically, or are we? This is kind of what I'm asking. Are we talking about just where pastors invest in the maybe the leaders of their congregation or – what if I'm investing in a uh, smaller church pastor, real local, like in the same city, but I'm investing in him, but it's on a local context. It's within. It's not off at seminary. Is that kind of what we're talking about here? It's within the local church, not off at seminary? I, I don't know, Josh. You picked the topic, so you tell us. <laughs> well, what are you talking about? What do you have in your mind when you talk about this? Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking within the context of the church. But it could certainly apply to those uh, who are outside of the church as well. You know, other other leaders, uh, other other pastors. So I, I think it's a both end. But I, I'm specifically talking about inside the church. So why even do it? Isn't the seminary? I mean, isn't this why we give to the cooperative program? Can't they just go off to seminary and do this better than we can? Isn't is the seminary better equipped to develop leadership than a very busy bivocational or small church pastor? Yeah, yeah Micah, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that one. Yeah. Is, is, are the seminaries better? I think that's a dangerous um, choice of language. To be <laughs> I think the better, I, I think anytime we assume that an, an, um, a parachurch organization is better than the local church at that which, the, at that which God gave to the local church to do, we sort of dive into dangerous territory. Now, hear me say this. I'm a massive advocate for our seminaries. I, I'm a graduate of one of our seminaries. I'm a current student at a second one of our seminaries. I love our schools. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, this is not a, this is not a knock on the seminaries at all. And, but I think the seminary's role is to come alongside churches and, and continue the development that the churches have already done. I would not use the language that they're better than the local churches. Um, I think they're better than some local churches because local churches do this poorly or don't do this at all. But that's the result of the local church not understanding the element of their role in all of this. Uh, but I think theologically and ecclesiologically, God has given leadership development to the church. And one of the major reasons, so in, 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 in theological theory, the local church should be the ultimate at developing others. In practice, they're not so great at developing others because they've missed, I think, many churches have missed their primary calling to do so. Um, with that said, I think part of that is because we've misunderstood the role of the pastor and the role of the church. We've created an environment where the pastor's primary job is to do ministry on behalf of the church, which is not at all their, the biblical admonition. The Bible does not give us professional pastors to do ministry for the church. The, God, the, the Word of God gives us pastors to help develop the saints so that all of us can do ministry together. If we understand that that's the pastor's vocational responsibility, then that changes the way the pastor orders their schedule. The reason a busy bivocational pastor doesn't prioritize developing others is they don't have time because the church expects them to be visiting the hospitals, sitting on the front porch with members, 
you know, things that I would argue are not their primary vocational responsibility based on scripture, at least in terms of priority, that developing others is higher up on the priority list. The Bible, guys, I don't understand why churches aren't getting this. This is not implicit in the text. This is explicit in the biblical text. Pastors, and by the way, not just pastors, all church leaders. Notice that in Ephesians 4. God gave some to be pastors, prophets, evangelists, apostles, teachers. That's a broad range of leaders in the church. And they all share a common vocational responsibility to develop the saints for works of ministry. But very few are because they're spending all their time and energy doing ministry on behalf of the church because we've created a consumer environment in the local church where the church average church member views themselves as a consumer who sits back and watches while the professional pastor performs for them on the platform and does ministry on their behalf. Mm. So our entire structure and environment is not designed around developing others. But yeah. you really, so have, this is my soapbox here. I get pretty passionate about this. Well, it's good. Oh, soapbox. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's, I think it's something that's worthy of your passion. So what do we do about this? So, you know, you're a pastor of a church of 50, 100, 150. You're a pastor of a church of 500. You have a few staff. How do we build this culture in the church? What, what do we do to help, from a practical standpoint, uh, pragmatic standpoint, to use a poor word, I guess, because I know Josh likes that word because he's reformed. Um, what what do we do? What do we do? Well, let me just say that I think that this could play a lot into our previous um, podcast on episode 23 where we did talk about polity. And some of that polity is going to bear on this, what Micah is explaining to be our primary vocational role. One of the things that we've done at this church was I literally just sat down in my office and I asked the question, what is taking me away from developing leaders and preaching the gospel? or preaching the Bible, the whole thing. So I sat down and said, these things are what are taking me away. And I made a list. These are the things that take the majority of my time. Then what we did was we went to the deacons and we said, deacons, which of these do you want to do? And they started picking up those roles. And I explained to them because these are the things that pull me away from what I'm primarily supposed to do. So they started pulling all of that stuff off my plate. So in answer to That's like the greatest. Okay, I got to stop you. That's like the greatest deacons meeting of all time. Yeah, my deacons are really cool. I like my deacons I mean, a it's, lot. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's Act Six. If you believe the the deacons formed in Act Six, I mean it's yeah. it, it's like, hey, I, I I can't do the things that I'm called to do. Hey, deacons, who wants? I'm yeah, just and, I'm just. And I mean, it's just a that's side funny, note. That's like the greatest deacons meeting of all time. It's just a side note because what it was were things like the security of the campus, the the facilities, or the the buildings and grounds. We don't have committees on those things. So they were taking a lot of the lead pastor's role. So what we did was these guys got amped up when we just went to them and said, these are the tasks that need baptisms. So we have a deacon who's completely in charge of making sure that the people get up there, they get what they need, they're walked through, they get their picture, they get their shirt, all that sort of stuff. It just took something off of my plate on Sunday mornings. And so what we found was you know, there's a bunch of different models for what to do with the deacons, what to actually give them. What we found was just let them do what they want to do. So the guys that love being outside, those deacons, they do the grounds now. And they're kind of the guys that we default on that. The people who we've got a general contractor who's a deacon. If there's a wall that needs to be built or something, I always say, I don't know. Go ask Rick. Rick is the guy in charge of all of that. And so Rick handles all that as a deacon, as a non-paid person. So that took it off. So to answer kind of what you were originally saying there, 
how do we begin this culture? I think the the pastors need to build in the bandwidth. You need to release yourself from other, the other things, like Mike is talking about. There. Maybe somebody you've got to pull somebody up that says this person is doing hospital visits now because that is pulling me away so often that I don't have time to develop leaders and preach the Bible. And the more you can do that and build your bandwidth, I think is the, I guess the first step or valuing it at least, uh, saying I need to be doing this and then creating the bandwidth in there. What else would you guys I think, I, I think the first step is the lead pastor or whatever role you're in as a ministry team leader. You've got to be willing to let it go. I think that's the first step. And I think you're going to find a lot of pastors that they'll say this. They'll say, you know, I need to be developing others. I, I wish I had people I could equip. But what's really going on is they enjoy the attention. They enjoy right. the the uh, feel-good sense of people need you. Um, it, it's hard. It's hard to let go of a lot of that. So I think step one is... Hey, you know, to our listeners, are you willing to let some of this stuff go? Because a lot, a lot of the stuff that you're going to let go is the stuff that people like to see you doing, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of fulfillment in that. You know, well, are you willing to let fear in it? They're afraid of what might yeah. happen if they stop doing the hospital visits or something like that. People will be mad. People will leave. So it's, you know, I totally agree with you. A lot of pastors love the attention. Other ones are afraid of the negative attention that might come their way. Yeah, and it's probably it's really for most of us it's probably a mix of both. Like sure. we enjoy that sense of, oh, pastor, I'm so glad you're here. You're you're the man. You're the guy. And then like that, the flip side of, oh wow, if I stop doing this, I, I really fear how people are going to react. Yeah, I, I think I think it starts at the top. Really, I mean, this, you got to be willing to let some of this stuff go. And all of us know guys that have been terminated from positions because they stopped doing the hospital visits, or that was it. Well, did he preach the gospel? Sure. Was he loving to his wife and family? Yeah. But he wasn't making hospital visits, so we fired him. You know, we know that, and that's a real thing, but but you really yeah. – maybe there's other things that so, you can let it go. Yeah, that's what I was saying. In those cases, it's like if, if the hospital visit is the thing that you're going to get fired over, like doing the hospital don't, don't, don't <laughs> let go of that one. Go let go of some other things that people aren't as concerned about. Right. So go after the low-hanging fruit. What, what are the things yeah. that you know you can let go of? train up some other people and then focus on those things don't go right to the issues right to the things that are going to get you fired because then you're not equipping anybody hey Micah, um, what do you do let's say okay so i've created bandwidth i've got this younger minister coming up that is interested in my time wants to do, what, what do i start with like is there a book you recommend or you know outside of the bible is there something that you start walking <clears throat> through this is inevitably when I, I have this entire session that I, that I, it's probably the number one thing I've spoken on when I travel to conferences or, or train pastors. And inevitably the very first question I get asked every single time is what do you do when you're with other people? Let me just tell you the number one principle in my mind that you do is more important than what you do. And, and I'm telling you, get this and make this like gospel in your mind that you do is more important than what you do. I'm telling you, you can have, and I'll give you some recommendations of books that, that are helpful. Um, you can do those sorts of things with people. But I'm telling you, 15 years down the road, um, some young person that you've poured into and invested in and developed, they may not at all remember the book you went through, but they will remember the time they spent with you. The key is not nearly so much the curriculum you put together as much as it is you giving time to someone, giving time and space 
your time and space to someone. And the beauty is you don't have to, I mean, you do have to clear your schedule to do some of this, but you don't have to clear your schedule a ton. Just take them along with you when you do what you do. If hospital visits are clogging your time and your church isn't going to let you get rid of hospital visits, go do hospital visits with somebody on your staff, a volunteer, a teenager in your church. Take someone with you when you go. This is, this is not that difficult, right? It's just making sure that you're never alone. In terms of what you do, um, it depends on who you're meeting with. I have, right now, I have two interns. I'm getting ready to add a third. And when I meet with them, I'm going through specific ministry-related books that pertain to how they're going to do and develop ministry. I, we read through the books together. We discuss them chapter by chapter. And then I ask them to write papers on potential issues. Like, here's a situation from the, you know, you're dealing with this topic in the book. Here's a situation that arises in your church. Give me a five-page paper on how you're going to handle that situation as a leader in the church, that sort of thing. Um, I also meet with, uh, it's been three, I'm adding a fourth guy. We'll meet tonight from seven to eight. We'll meet in my office um, for discipleship and leadership development, some young guys who are laymen in the church. One of them feels called in the ministry. The rest are all right now either struggling with a call or, or just lay people. We'll go through, what we do is a series of books. We go through a book, and then we go through a book of the Bible, then we go through a popular book, and we go through a book of the Bible. We go back and forth. So we just finished up um, the new leadership book from Kevin Peck and Eric Geiger, um, which is a fantastic leadership book that just talks through how to develop leaders. And then we're going to start tonight. I think we're going to, uh, we're, we're meeting tonight to determine what, which book of the Bible we're going to go through. I often go through Philippians. Um, I think this time we may go through Galatians. And then we'll do that verse by verse, and then we'll go through another one. Again, what we're doing, however, is less important than that I'm doing. It's just investing time with people, making space. The problem is, for many of us, we like our private time. And as Sam said a minute ago, we like to hold on to what we do. And it's scary. I call it super, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't call it, lots of people call this the super pastor syndrome. And it's cathartic. The super pastor syndrome is cathartic. We all have our emotional baggage. We all want to be affirmed. We all want to be needed. And being a super pastor helps satisfy those desires in our heart. And so what we're doing is, in a sense, understand that this is formative, formative and um, uh, this is uh, sanctification for you to give some of this stuff up and to let others do that. It's, it's killing idols in your own life when you do that. But you're just going to have to invest the time and the space to take people along with you while you do it. Does that answer your so, question? Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I was, I was good. So, I mean, let me just, how many times have you been at a doctor's appointment where they, or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever you're having done, they, they bring someone in and they say, hey, so-and-so is going to observe because, you know, they're learning or they're about to get their medical degree or what have you. I mean, I, I've probably had that happen a dozen times, mm -hmm. 15 mm -hmm. times in my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I'm always like, oh, okay, well, that. That's fine. I, it's no big deal. For most people, it's not a big deal. I, your, your, your church people aren't going to mind if you bring other folks along. Sam, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, what's the number one influence on your life growing up on how you pastor? Oh, wow. The number, the number one who, influence. Who or what is the number one influence on your life and how you pastor? Well, I mean, that's a tough one because of my dad. Um, that's what I'm asking. That's my I point. Mean, okay, yeah, so I, mean, I want to get at this. So what curriculum did your dad go through with you on how to be a pastor? Yeah. In fact, my dad, my dad did the opposite. He, he told me, you don't need to go into ministry unless this is the only thing that you can do. So I, I was in the corporate world for five years trying to figure right. out who I was. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, my, my dad actually, he didn't push me away from ministry. I would never right. say that, but he definitely was not pushing me into ministry. But, but here's my point. You learned how to pastor to, to a great degree by watching your dad, right? Yeah. From afar. Yeah. I, I mean, there's there's a lot to that. And also um, guys and like... Uh, by watching him. Yeah. And uh, Paul Chitwood is my right. mentoring That's pastor. That's right. Exactly. And there's there was no curriculum. There was just time. It was just That's exactly us mentioned. talking. Uh, him, uh, I would preach. He would write some notes on a scrap piece of paper about how to mm-hmm. preach better. Yep. He gave me opportunities. Yep. He put me on the strategic team for the facility when I was That's like right. 24, whatever I was. And of course, I thought that I deserved to be on the team, but looking back on it, it was just—I totally thought I was like, "Oh, well, he actually recognizes my abilities." <laughs> yeah, I've been and, and now, I'm, now I'm looking back, and I'm like, obviously, obviously, "Oh, he was just throwing me a bone. He just saw something <laughs> in me, and he was helping me out." I mean, I, I still remember thinking, "Wow, he's a great pastor because he knows I can do this," and it was completely the opposite. He knew I couldn't do it, so he was trying to help and teach me and train me up. This is getting at my point. As Americans, we are predisposed to believe that we have to have a syllabus and a curriculum. We have to have a syllabus and a curriculum for everything we do, right? That's, that's our American, you know, just sort of model. But go around the world, and including in the U.S., how do, how do we learn how to change a tire? How do we learn how to treat our wives? How do we learn how to go vote or how to think about a political candidate? We grow up around parents who don't have a curriculum, or we grow up around friends, or we watch people who we're in relationship with. We don't have a curriculum. We just see them do it, and we embody how they do it. And how many times have have all of us, I mean, all of us now are in our 30s, um, some earlier and some later. (laughs) How many times have you ever done something and thought, oh, my gosh, that's exactly how my mom or dad did it, right? Mm -hmm. Without even thinking about it. It's because we've learned by default just by being in, in relationship with people. Pastors... Don't miss that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Bring people in your lives. Overload your life with people. Have people in your home to have dinner. Let them watch how you and your wife and your kids interact. Mm-hmm. Uh, this so, is Paul as he says, "Model me or follow me as I follow Jesus." That's yeah. exactly what we're doing here. So this explains a lot. I mean, this is why I call my children hemorrhoids. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what my dad called me. He's like, "Hey, hemorrhoids," and he still calls me that today. He's he still calls me the, his hemorrhoid. So, um, loving and affectionate manner. That yeah, that's so, it's all clicking. It's all yeah. clicking in my head. That's we why I look at my children and I say, "All right, hemorrhoids, let's go." In small group, this a uh, couple weeks ago, we had this conversation where um, I always refer to my sons in some sort of. It's usually something like ostrich lips or monkey armpits or something like. That. It's always this weird like animal. You guys. Are used to being in, you're used to being in environments with lots of little boys. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> I don't yeah, do that with my daughters. I don't, so I don't think you do that with your daughters either, do you, Sam? No. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I, 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 I do. do. <laughs> I do. I mean, my, I, I, you know, my daughters, they can handle it. They're tough. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've got another great um, kind of illustration to go along with that is uh, Jack Graham and O.S. Hawkins were talking about this very same thing. They both came out of the same church, and as teenagers, their pastor uh, kind of just let them do exactly what Mike is talking about, go to hospital visits with him, and just kind of hang out with him. It's a, it's a, 
it's a church over in Tarrant County, and it's not even sort of the church it was. But when you think about that, there's this guy who I today can't remember his name. I, and I heard both OS and Jack just go on and on about this guy and the stories and how it affected both of them. And so both of those guys are now leaders, prominent leaders within the convention and their churches. And that happened because a pastor just kind of let them in, just let them kind of walk along with them. And I think that we miss the power of that. When we see a young person called to ministry and we're like, all right, great, here's the seminary I would go to, and we send them off to Louisville or Fort Worth or wherever. And instead, we don't open up our kind of lives for them. Any final thoughts on this? Just do it. Yeah. Just yeah. find somebody and do it. Don't 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 spend all your time trying to figure it out. Just bring somebody in your life and start it. I mean, figure it out. You know, I, I, it's good to get wisdom. It's good to talk to others. But just do this. Just start doing. Go it. find somebody and, and bring them involved and bring them into your life. You can start today. Do that. We're so thankful that all of you monkey armpit hemorrhoids are listening to our show. <laughs> you are. We affectionately love you in this is, that way. It's like it's like the Howard Stern version of church podcasters. <laughs> oh. Goodness. Uh, Shock talk meets, meets did church podcast. I tell podcast. you guys about uh, David Easley? David Easley is the pastor of Arlington Heights Baptist Church in Pascagoula, Mississippi. That, of course, is the place where the squir- squirrel Sleepy went. little town of Pascagoula. That's right. They were. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Hallelujah. It's all coming together now. It's yes. awesome. And so when I saw that he was following us on Twitter at EST Church, I was so thankful that somebody down in Pascagoula where they um, broke out in revival. Everybody was baptized whether they needed it or not. <laughs> That's good Baptist church going on down there. So um, thanks, David, for listening and all of those who are following us along on Twitter. If you haven't yet, do us a favor. Get over on iTunes, rate, and review us. That helps so much. And just share the shows out, those sort of things. We want your help in growing the show every single day, guys. I- I'm the one who sees the Twitter messages the most, and I've got to share with both Sam and Micah and our other listeners. Every single day we get a tweet or a message that says, I just found your show. It is such a blessing to me. It's really helping me. I'm about to start an established church, or I just took an established church, and one of your episodes really kind of helped me in a place we are. I heard about a guy who is literally taking one of our episodes, taking it to the deacons meeting, and playing it for all of the deacons to listen to because we covered a topic that he's trying to lead them through. So please help us get the word out, share about the show. And uh, we are thankful for those of you who are, like I said, David and Pascagoula. We'll see you next week.